This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Taryn Hayes. Hello, Alison, and welcome to The Lydia Project. Good morning. Lovely to see you. It is always good to see you, and it's good to hear your voice. We always start these interviews with this question, so I'm just going to dive straight in, and it is, how did you come to faith in Christ? It's an extraordinary story of God's grace, really, because I grew up in a family that would have been labelled an Anglican family, although up until about the age of 11, I don't think I ever went into a church for anything. No weddings, no funerals. We were not a church-going family at all. God didn't get a mention. It just wasn't something that was included in our family life. And then I think, yeah, in God's grace, there were a little group of us who went to the same junior school. And I think that our little gang leader's mum was a Christian. And she somehow got us all to think that it would be a really cool thing to go to the local Sunday school. And so there were about five of us who went to the local Sunday school and the nearest one just happened to be this new little church around the corner called St. James Church Kenilworth. So we could all walk to St. James Church, which literally was around the corner from where we lived. So we went there for a few months to the Sunday school. And a school friend somehow got wind of the fact that I was doing this. And she said to me one day in a religious instruction class which was homework throw paper jets around the room kind of class we didn't actually have any religious instruction at all she said to me do you know that Jesus that you are meant to be learning about at Sunday school I had no idea what she was talking about it was a totally foreign idea that I had I could know Jesus and I said no and moved on and then she started feeding me a series of booklets I think they were scripture union booklets And she'd give me one a week. And I dutifully took the booklet and stuck it in a tin under my bed. Didn't even look at it. And every now and again, she'd say, have you managed to look at any of those things I've given you? Oh, no, not really. And eventually we got to the end of the booklets. I think there were 12 of them. And she asked me again, have you looked at these booklets? And I thought, oh, you know, the only way I'm going to get this woman off my back is if I actually read the booklets And then I can say in good conscience, I've read them, I can give them back to her, and that will be the end of the story. And I read in them about the reality of the claims that God makes, that he is actually king, he is the creator, he is the one who is in authority. And as human beings, even me as an 11-year-old, I have chosen to live as though he has not existed. That, in fact, is treason, and it is deeply offensive to him, and I need to do something about that. And I thought, well, if he said it and he is God, then I really am in big trouble if I don't say some, do something about it. So I read the prayer at the end of the book. And I said, oh, oh I think this means that I'm a Christian. Put the books back in the tin, back under my bed, and nothing, I didn't feel different. <laughs> but from that day on, I just had, a, it was like a deep-centered 
certainty that God's word is God's word. And if he has said it, he said it. And I'm entirely safe with that. And I'm now nearly 60. And that has never left me uh, through all the various things that one goes through in life. So in God's grace, yeah. And as far as I look everywhere in my family, I think I'm the only Christian that I know. So how God has kept me going and is just, again, huge story of God's grace. So I'm very grateful to the faithful witness of a school friend. Long answer to a short question. Oh, a great answer to that question. I don't actually remember your testimony from other times I've heard it before. And, and I love the persistence of your friend. I think it's a great lesson to us to be persistent because the reality is that there's so many people like you, the 11-year-old girl, who just out of obligation, I suppose, um, felt, oh, okay, I will read it. Oh, okay. And, and we hear those stories often. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll read this thing that you've given to me. And then life-changing moments happen. That's just yeah. encouraging. Yeah. You say that your rest of your family are not Christians. How does that impact your relationships with them? I think I maybe need to take a step backwards. I've got one of those blended families. So my parents divorced when I was 10. They were separated when I was about seven, I think. And I grew up largely with my dad. And so he and my younger brother just sort of tolerated my Christianity. But it's it's been something that they've all observed across my life. My mum remarried. I'm a chap who had five girls. Um, but we didn't ever live together in the same home. So not at that same stage of life. I think, yeah, I think that they've gone, <laughs> they've realized I'm not actually going to grow out of this. It's not going, it's not something that's going to go away. I think that at a deep level of relationship, we just don't talk about the same things that we would talk to with our Christian friends. Our family have, if they want to know the latest sort of theological impact of something they might have heard in the press or something that is controversial, then they, they'll speak to us about it. But other than that, I'm afraid it's, it's meant that we've, had a, we've got a superficial kind of relationship. But I think that that also speaks, we've, yeah, it's just also our family dynamic. Uh, we're not really a very close family. So uh, whether it's because we're Christians and we're slightly odd or whether it's because we just live in different parts of the country or in different parts of the world, I'm not really sure. But I've, I really had to make my peace with the fact that, that God is sovereign. Yeah. And every now and again, I, I've had long conversations with myself and the Lord saying, Lord, you know, I've tried to witness to these people. I've in effect got six siblings. I've, I've lost touch with, with my stepfamily, really. So I don't really know where they stand. But I think, well, have I failed as a witness? You know, I, I've... I haven't actually been effective with anybody in terms of them coming to faith. So I've, I've had to make my peace with the fact that, yes, there may have been situations in which I could have said more, done more, acted more wisely, more winsomely for Christ. But at the end of the day, he is the one who's going to work in their hearts. I can't work in their hearts. And I can only live as faithfully in front of them as I can. And other than that, yeah, I can't make them Christian as much as I'd like yeah. to. Yeah. And I've just got to, I've got to make my peace with the fact that God will do what is right. And he will, he cares for them the way he cared for me and his plan for them may not yet have reached its completion. 
Yeah. So I've just got to keep praying for them. I can't stop praying and speaking when I have an opportunity. But if I don't have the opportunity, then I just need to keep praying. Yeah, I think you are in the boat that many people are in with non-Christian family. And it's such mm. a tension between what more can I do versus if God's work. Um, but yeah, it's a constant matter of prayer. But in that, it's what you're saying. It's laying it before the Lord and trusting him that he knows yeah. best and he's got them where he wants them. And that's not that's not always easy. I'm often reminded yeah. of uh, Chapo, you know, the, just about the world's greatest evangelist of the 21st century or the 20th century. And his brother got to hear the gospel countless times. Mm. Through Chapo. Yeah. You know, certainly no lack of enthusiasm. And, and yet he didn't come to faith, as far as I recall. Mm. And, and, you know, Chapo lived to a ripe old age. Yeah. So God knows what he's doing. But, yeah, I reckon that I, I take away the same thing that you do, that we need to keep praying. Because as long as we have breath, <laughs> we can keep praying. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now, Alison... I know, but the listeners don't, <laughs> that you are married to Mervyn Elof and that together you now happen to minister at that little church that's not so little anymore when you first came to faith. Uh, tell us a little bit about your ministry, how you landed up at St. James. Where did you, and what happened between 11 and where you are now? Yeah, again, it's just... Mervyn and I were reflecting on this the other day because you know, <laughs> when you get to 60 and a bit beyond, you sort of start thinking, oh, okay, we don't have that much more formal ministry time left, which is a bit, a bit of a shock. I say it's a huge shock to the system. But anyway, <laughs> that's a whole different conversation. I think that I had always been open to the idea of doing some kind of ministry. I didn't have any idea of what it would look like. Initially, I had grand plans of being a missionary doctor, flying my own airplane around Africa somewhere. <laughs> and yeah, I didn't work nearly hard enough to become a doctor. And I think the Lord knew that I was going to land up married to Mervyn, so that wouldn't have worked anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I went to university in Cape Town. I studied a social science degree. And in my second year, I met Mervyn at St. James. He was in the army doing his national service which was a requirement at that time he had just become a christian and when he came to the end of his army time he felt he knew so little about the bible that he had a, a logical gap in his career and it would be a good time for him to go and go to bible college and learn as much as he could so he didn't go with any thought of going to the ministry he really just went to become better equipped really about this christian business so he and Mark Dixon, who was now the principal of our college in Cape Town, uh, they were in the army together and they went to Bible college together. And while Mervyn was at college, the students had to do student placements and Mervyn increasingly was preaching all over the place and he was patently gifted at doing it. And we, we sort of fell into ministry. And in, in his third year of ministry, we were asked to start a church plant from our home church, which was St. James Church. We both attended St. James. Um, we were asked to uh, start a church plant in a developing suburbs, sort of across the bay from Cape Town City. 
yeah, crazy story. We lived in Simonstown, which was at the opposite end of the Cape Peninsula, for anybody who may or may not know what the Cape looks like. So it was have, we had an hour's drive three times a week to get to our church plant. And Mervyn was a third-year third student, full-time student. It was crazy times. <laughs> but, but basically, we landed up in the ministry. And for his third year, we were running this church plant. At the end of the third year, we met a man called Dick Lucas, who ran a really great church in London. And he had a like an internship program. And I don't know that we quite understand the back, background workings of it all, but he invited Mervyn to come and basically do his curacy at St. Helens in London. So we left our church plant in the hands of Mark and Julie Dixon, and we went to London for uh, two and a half years to go and work at St. Helens. And um, then he, by then Mervyn was ordained and we actually just, we slipped into the ministry. So we went from St. Helens, then we finished that our term there. And opening started um, at our, one of our churches in Stellenbosch, which is a town just outside Cape Town, a big university campus, same sort of feel as Cambridge in England, a university town really dominated by the university. Um, and we had nearly five years there working in church with big student congregation in the evening, families in the morning. And then by then our, our daughter to college, theological college was up and running and they were desperately in need of new lecturers. And again, I don't quite know why Mervyn's shoulder was being tapped, but his shoulder was tapped heavily. You know, the, the, <laughs> we've got, we love you. And we have got great plans for your life. It's been the story of our lives. <laughs> we know the Lord does, but people do too. And so we were moved from, well, not were moved, we moved from Stellenbosch to GWC where Mervyn began lecturing. So that was back in Cape Town. And then after about 13 years of being at the college, we had, as a family, moved back into Cape Town. We had started attending St. James again. And the chap who was the rector there was saying to Mervyn, look, I really would value your help and your input. Would you come and work alongside me? So Mervyn tried to do two jobs for a year and a half and realized I really can't do this. I can't be a rector full-time and also be a lecturer full-time. So it really is not going to work. So then he went and joined the staff at St. James uh, 2007. And we've been there for, this is our 15th year, we can't believe. So we've really come full circle. <laughs> you really have. So, yeah, it, it, and it has been extraordinary. It's, it's been a huge, huge privilege. And every place that we've worked and, and lived, we've just learned so much from the people that we've been working with. And we keep learning. There's always more to learn. So it's, it's yeah, being in the ministry is an enormous privilege. So that point that you've just made about there always being more to learn, what do you think is, is currently what you're learning right now it's going to sound a funny thing to say but i think that we're learning again that you've got to just keep holding on to the basics because there there's so much I, th I think social media is a great thing it's a great tool and we are grateful that we can use it as a church but i think that it's so much easier to be uh, how do I put this? It, it, it almost feels as though 
everybody has got a voice and everybody's encouraged to have a voice about every issue, which is, is great. I mean, it's, it's all, I'm all for self-expression and people need to really think through what they want to say. But I think that within the Christian circle, it's very easy to then have all of those voices try and just budge you away from the centrality of what really makes a difference in people's lives. Yeah, so a, a real, a really deep conviction that we've got to stick with the Bible. We've got to really, really preach the Bible really as well as we can. Because if we preach it as well as we can, and if we, we explain it to people as well as we can, they will hear God's voice. And he will then work in their lives in a way that I can't work in society, in a way that a lot of other people can work in society, because that is where they're working. So we, we really do see our job as equipping people so that they can be really useful benefactors in our society. And that all of that to the glory of God. So, yeah, hmm. keeping the main thing the main thing, I think, is what we are learning again and again and again, really. Isn't it strange? We were talking about this in Bible study uh, last night, actually, about how very often the application is the same thing, no matter what book you're studying, no matter what situation you're looking at, if you if you just sit it down, it's the same thing. And and yet it's the most important thing. And it's what you've just said. It's it is keeping the main thing the main thing and doing what we can to help ourselves to keep the main thing the main thing. So whether that's you know, equipping ourselves to understand the Bible better in order to evangelize more clearly or to care for others better because we actually are steeped in the word and and because we're steeped in the word, we are convicted of how to love well, you know, mm. how to share the gospel well, all those kind of things. It all comes back to being in the Bible, to, yeah. you know, spending time with God, to making the main thing the main thing. Yeah. So I'm encouraged by that. I find it very easy, as you're saying, to get super bogged down by social media's many messages, and they're also urgent. And you know, whatever issue is the one that is the soapbox for the day becomes the all-encompassing, most important thing. And if you don't adhere to it in any shape or form, you are it's great evil. And you know, it's 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 not your passion in the same way as, it, as, as other people's passion, it just, it becomes so overwhelming. And you've, mm. it, I've watched people over time draw away from others because of it. It's not something that, that overarchingly draws people together. I find it, it more pushes people apart, which is yeah. so sad, so, so sad. So, yeah. And I think that's something that we're holding on to quite tightly is that we live in a, a, just an amazingly diverse nation. And I think that that's another thing that we're learning. We're learning how to do better, to be honest. And it's, yeah, there, there's some real growing pains, but, but just amazing, marvelous benefits. And I think it all comes back to just really embracing the reality. If God is the creator, and you look around the world at the, the extraordinary beauty and diversity and God got it right to have an extraordinary mix of everything and it's beautiful and it and it works so well and I think that as human beings if we if we keep acknowledging the reality that God is our creator if we're in a relationship with him we shouldn't be scared by other people's diversity we shouldn't be scared by their their opinions and they shouldn't be scared by the fact that I'm not I'm not embracing their opinion completely 
because actually that at the end of the day that's not the issue the issue mm-hmm. is are we all working on our relationship with jesus and are we all doing whatever we can to be as as fruitful for him in whatever way we can in our little our circle what big or small and all together that should be creating a beautiful thing for the Lord Jesus and, and a really winsome thing for the world. Maybe it's too simplistic, but it just it's one of the best ways that I can make sense of what we need to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I don't think it's too simplistic. It's, it's so freeing to be able to distill things down to what they actually are instead of getting all overwhelmed by all the, yeah. you know, all the high-level stuff that's coming your way, you know, whether it's in South Africa and the particular concerns within South Africa or here in Australia and the things that we're dealing with here, there's they're big things on, you know, in their mm. minds and on people's radars. Speaking of which, what is on your radar at the moment? Yeah, just trying to do ministry smarter in times of COVID, to be honest. I think that last year we all felt a bit as though we were marking time, just waiting for this COVID thing to finish. And Personally, I had been nursing my mother-in-law up until the end of 2019, and she died just before Christmas. So in God's grace, he almost gave me a sabbatical to just sort of recover <laughs> while we were all in hectic lockdown, couldn't do anything for yeah, varying levels almost for the year. So for me personally, ministry almost stopped last year at a, at a formal kind of level because almost all of my ministries uh, historically have been upfront, big group kind of ministries. So, so this year, I think that as a church, we've realized that COVID's not going away anytime soon. We actually need to be proactive rather than reactive. And let's get on the front foot with this and see how we can act smart with what we do have so that we can really equip God's people to yeah, manage life and get to know him better. So, yeah, so for me, that's, that's meant sort of picking up all of the balls that I used to hold. I hit up the women's ministry at our church. So it's looking at how to do ladies' Bible studies. So I'm doing sort of stuff with my morning Bible study ladies, picking up our evening uh, ladies, thinking through how we can also connect. Because we've got quite a big church, it's very easy for people to be in little age microcosms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that's, that is a good way of describing it. But so uh, Scott and Haley Tubman are on our staff team and they work with us. And Haley and I have been thinking about how we can really encourage across generation mixing of the women in our church. Yeah, so I'm doing some thinking through with some of our young mums on that. We also run a conference once a year in Cape Town for Cape Town Women and just thinking through how we can do that online, which is a whole other skill set. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Way it's not even in the same room as my skill set. <laughs> it is like <laughs> another building. Yeah, so just as I said, trying to think how we can think smart about how to do all of these things and yeah. uh, keep it that's keeping me busy so what would you say is keeping you standing firm and growing as a christian at the moment oh good question i think the simple answer again is god's grace i think that yeah we've realized as a couple we've been very blessed in our little personal bubble and with covid uh, we have two girls 
uh, our elder daughter is married and all of our kids have been really well and they've got jobs and so from let's say from personal bubble kind of thing we've been really well many many people in our congregation have have lost loved ones and that has been just so hard uh, they've lost their jobs yeah, COVID has really been very, very difficult. And I think that, you know, when you when you are pastoring a congregation, those things can really rest very heavily on you. And you just, it's part of the privilege of being part of the family of God is that we do feel each other's burdens. And I think that we've, we've realized that we've got to just keep close to God. We've got to keep reading his word. We've got to keep making sure that we're talking to him. Uh, we've got to keep thinking through how we can be connecting with other people because being on our own is not good for us. And again, we're very privileged. We can't just be on our own because we've got a church to run. So we've got to interact with people. But there are many people who don't talk. They're working from home. They may, their children may be homeschooled. Now this year, South African kids can go back to school. But for a long time, months, they were at home. So... And for single people, some people have been on their own working at home. So just you know, realizing again the centrality of we are in we're in an individual relationship with the Lord Jesus, and we've got to keep working on that relationship. But that relationship happens within a family context, and to just keep affirming that with one another, and yeah, you know, we found that enormously encouraging personally. That and God keeps promising that he's got this you know, he he wasn't surprised by COVID he knew what was coming he knew what he wanted to teach us and I just keep being really excited because I think we have not yet seen the kingdom stories that are going to come out of COVID mm. just his provision the way he's worked with people we had one man who was terribly terribly sick he nearly died and his own testimony was God took me that journey so that I would become serious with him. Mm -hmm. And he was grateful to the Lord that he got so sick because it made him open his eyes spiritually. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. You know, I, I couldn't say that to you, but you could, that, that was his own testimony. And yeah, he is rejoicing in God's grace. He is almost completely better, but yeah making sure that um, I personally am keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus. Mm. When, when my girls were little, I'm, I'm sure many parents do this. You know, I used to take their faces between my hands and squash their cheeks and, make, and look at them and make them look at me. <laughs> and they'd look at me and think, okay, mom, now what? <laughs> and I'd say something stupid and or whatever, or silly, and then let them go. And I'm just, conscious of I think that we need to make sure that we're doing that with the Lord Jesus that we are mm. looking at him mm. not just mm. glancing but we are really looking because uh, mm. I think that that just helps us keep perspective and maybe focus absolutely so in terms of keeping perspective and focus I imagine you do have a favorite bible verse and it's probably featured over this COVID period what is bible verse and do you mind reading it aloud that would be great Sure. I think that this has just been going right back to what I was saying about the Bible being my rock from the first days of my conversion. Deuteronomy 29 verse 29. 
he says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. And I think what I love about that verse is that it just reminds me about the fact that God is sovereign and that there are things that are secret from me and I will never know, and that's fine. He has given us enough for actually for us to know what we need to do to actually live this life and to be able to follow him. And I've, I've yeah, I find that really encouraging. At this point in the interview, Alice and I signed off and said goodbye, but then we carried on chatting, just the two of us, and Alison had so many wonderful things to share that was just so insightful that I asked her if I could just capture a few of the sound bites and add them to the end of the interview, and she kindly agreed. So I am going to cut and paste a few of the words of wisdom from Alison as we carried on speaking after the interview. Enjoy. I think that's one of the things that we felt as a ministry family, that we could never honestly say that being a ministry family was was a negative thing because one of the extraordinary benefits that we've had and our children have had is having these amazing bible teachers come through our home and mm. our children know them you know, and have yeah. been able to interact with them so it's and so you mentioned family Chippa. and friends yes yeah no it's just a huge huge privilege so my kids go and have tea with dick lucas in london maybe they're in london and yeah it's it's just an enormous privilege the the evangelical world is actually a really small one so it really is which is great actually when you think of battles that we need to face and and the things that we're working with now it's really encouraging and it's christian family again Mm. just comes back to we're all on the same page we're all we're all going to be in heaven together drinking tea or coffee or whatever a few years ago, Mervyn came to the realization that I think we are both broken and sinful. And I, I, I find that helpful because the reality is that our brokenness sometimes won't be fixed. And Ecclesiastes mm. says that, you know, the thing that is, bro- that is bent can't be straightened. I forget the exact verse. If we try and straighten things that are broken, we, we will break them. Life experiences and the things people have done to others, I think, sometimes really do break us. So we limp along as broken people, but we are also sinful. And God in His grace gives grace for one and deals with the sinfulness of the other. And when we get to meet Jesus, we'll be perfect. I thought about it like that 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 we are both broken and sinful, and that I suppose mm. those two stand together in, in some sort mm. of tension. Because our temptation is to say one or the other are yeah. broken and then we excuse our sinfulness or we say, yeah. oh, that person's sinful and we don't see their brokenness. It challenges our, our compassion because there, I remember meeting, there was a chap who was in our Bible study and uh, part of what we did in London was um, we were involved in running our home groups. And there was a chap who was our, in our own group who I don't think I've ever met somebody who was emotionally as frail as this guy was. He was in his late 20s, early 30s. And every time he came to Bible study, we were just amazing <laughs> through another week. He just, he was just so frail. And God did the most extraordinary thing in that man's life. He went on to be a student chaplain at one of the inner city university campuses in London. 
which in itself is an ex just a really, really hard environment in which to work for anybody. Uh, he went on to write a couple of really helpful little books. And when we met him years later, he was still going on with the Lord. He was still broken, but he was just, he was a bunch less frail than he had been. But he was still, if you met him, he was, you would still think, oh, this is quite a frail person. And yet God had used him extraordinarily. And that was such, um, neither Mervyn nor I are sort of short on sort of rambunctiousness or <laughs> self-confidence. <laughs> and when we were young, I think it was, we were rather arrogant. And it was just so good for us to meet somebody who the Lord was patently using and who wasn't anything like us, didn't have any of our confidence, hadn't, I mean, we hadn't experienced the stuff that had broken him. And it was just uh, a huge lesson in compassion as well. Mm. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier, you know, the diversity that God works with. Why on earth must everybody have the same level of emotional mm. strength, standing to be used by God? It doesn't work like that. That's not how he works mm. with us. So, yeah, it was a, it was a great lesson. Maybe I'm seeing it in other people's lives more, maybe even in my own, I'm not sure. But when you take God's word seriously, it is just so not the case of so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. It is just entirely the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you really do take God's word seriously and you allow it to work in your heart, we're just going through Hebrews. You know, when you when the scalpel version of God's word is working in your heart. You you are of immense worldly good because that's how God designed it all to work. Yeah, completely. Yeah, thanks so much for chatting to me today, Alison. I just so thoroughly enjoyed chatting to you. No, it's a great, great pleasure. And yeah, I pray that this project goes on from strength to strength. I think that people hearing other people's stories is a big part of how, how the Lord is working these days. And yeah, it's a privilege to be part of this. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper, and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary. 